Let's open our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll read verses 30 and 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That is, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. That passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 30 and 31. This morning, the essential doctrine that I would like for us to consider is the doctrine of redemption. Redemption is one of those words that we use often. In fact, we sang a song this morning, since I have been redeemed. It's a word that we use often, but we need to fully understand what it means. And in in our modern society, it's... I think it's difficult for us to fully comprehend just how precious it is to know that we have been redeemed, that Jesus has been made for us redemption. The the word in the Old Testament and the New Testament, everywhere that it's used, whether it's in the Hebrew or in the Greek, it has the thought of a deliverance that takes place because a payment has been made. It has various thoughts in, in, in the various ways that it's used and the various words that are translated redeem, but it has the thought of being loosed from bondage, setting free from captivity or slavery, to buy back something that was lost or that was sold. It has the thought of exchanging something in one's possession in order to possess something else. And so that That concept we can understand, to purchase something. Jesus became for us the purchased price to redeem us from slavery and from bondage. Redemption is actually a legal term that was used in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. It was a transaction. When you talk about redemption, it was a word that they used. It had the thought of a legal action, transaction, that was legally binding. And so if you purchase something, you got some kind of receipt, as we, again, familiar with that transaction. That transaction was a a legal document, that, that receipt, that that thing, or sometimes in that case, in that time, that person belongs to me. And no one could refute that because redemption had taken place. A ransom had been paid. So now we have to ask ourselves, since we understand the basic term of what redemption is, in what sense have we been redeemed? And why is it something that we should sing about? Redeemed from what? What have we been loosed from? Who now possesses us? And so let's look at the the scriptural, let's build the case here that we have been redeemed. Let's look at the legal documents that prove that we are purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to Romans 7 and verse 14. These doctrines are essential. They are the fundamental doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because many times they are not taught on, many of God's people don't fully understand who we are in Christ and why we can rejoice in who we are in Christ. We read in our opening passage that in Christ we are these things. We have received these things. 
And when we begin to stray from these basic doctrines, that's when all of the apostasy, all the false doctrines come in among God's people and bring corruption and rob God's people of his best right now, beginning right now in this life and in eternity. And so this is why it's so important for us to understand these basics. In Romans seven fourteen, we read this statement. Paul says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal and sold under sin. Man is sold under sin. That means, well, Paul in this passage in Romans 7, those that are familiar with Romans 7, we know that Paul is describing the old sinful nature with which every man, woman, and child is born, the one we receive from Adam. And in the context of chapter 7, He's talking about the battle of those two natures, because when a believer accepts Jesus as their savior, we receive a new nature. There is a there is a an influence, a law, a principle that abides in us. It's the very life of Christ that desires and can only do the will of God. We receive that nature when we're born again, when we accept Jesus as our savior. But we're still we still possess what we were born with in the natural. And that's. Adam's sinful nature that can only do that which is contrary to the will of God. And so Paul was describing that in that old nature, we are sold to that cruel master of sin. And the unbeliever, that is the only nature that they have. So we were all born as slaves to sin. When you're a slave, you have a master, you are obligated to do the bidding of that master. And so that's, that's the condition of every human being born into the human race. We are bound by the dictates of the cruel master of sin. One reason I believe it's difficult for us as believers in this day and age to fully understand and appreciate the truth that we've been redeemed is because we live in a time in which slavery, at least in our society, is no longer commonplace. Now, we, we read about slavery in our history, and we read it in books, but to really understand what slavery was all about and what it means to be bought out of slavery, it's hard for us in this society in which, which we live that boasts in, in our independence and our, our individual freedoms and rights. But in, in Paul's day... It's estimated that 20 to 30 percent of the Roman of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves. So I, I want you to try to comprehend that. That's millions of people that were bound to follow the dictates of someone else. They had to do what they were told. Millions of people. And so the Romans in Paul's day, they knew the value of redemption what it meant to be bought out of that slavery. The Roman Empire would often conquer whole cities and then immediately sell the citizens into slavery. One day you wake up and try, try to imagine that, you know, right now in, in our free society. You go to bed, a free citizen, enjoying all your rights, all of your privileges, and tomorrow you wake up and you find yourself in slavery to someone else, and you have to do what you're told when you're told to do it. We need to try to comprehend that, and, and it's hard 
for us to understand the slavery that we were in to sin before we were saved. That's a frightening thought to think tomorrow I wake up and somebody who doesn't have my best interest in mind, mind you, we're talking about a cruel master. Someone who doesn't have my best interest in in mind is now going to dictate everything I do. That's a nightmare. Some places today, that's still a reality for some people. In Paul's day, it was very common. When you try to picture that nightmare experience, you need to understand that is the condition of the human race. They are lost and bound and sold to sin. Sin dictates what they do and what they think. Sin determines their destiny. Under sin, in that realm of sin, death reigns. Death is a separation from our Creator and from all of His blessings and the very purpose for which we were created. God created us with a purpose to have fellowship with Him and to enjoy all the benefits of it. But slavery to sin keeps man from enjoying all that God intended for the human race. Because we were born slaves in sin, we were not free. We did not have liberty to choose to do the will of God and to enjoy its benefits until Jesus was made redemption for us. We were sold into sin when Adam, who was created with the ability to make a choice, we were sold into sin when Adam chose to disobey God. When Eve, after having been deceived, offered Adam to join her in that rejecting of the will of God, their creator, for their life. And Adam made that choice. He chose to relinquish the freedom to do the will of God, and he chose to become a slave to Satan and to sin. And in doing so, his entire race, he was a slave, and now everyone that descends from him is born into that slavery with all of its cruelty. He had the liberty. Adam had liberty to walk with God and to enjoy that. Can you imagine having that relationship in the garden when the creator, the almighty God, walked in the cool of the evening and just had conversations with Adam? But when Adam chose to say, I reject his authority, I reject his word, and he chose Satan's word, he sold himself and his race into sin. The evidence that we are slaves, the evidence that Man is a slave to sin is seen everywhere. People today, again, in in modern society and in our society here in America, people would say, I'm nobody's slave. I'm my own boss. I do what I want when I want. No, you don't. You're a slave to sin. You can only do that which is self-destructive. Even the noble things that men do Apart from acknowledging God as their creator through faith in Jesus Christ, anything and everything man does is in arrogance, and it's without faith, and it's sin. The Bible goes so far as to say even the plowing of the fields of the ungodly is sin. Why? Because they do it in rebellion against their creator without acknowledging him. Denying that you are a slave to sin doesn't make it true. Paul says in Romans 5.12, Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Every human being is born as a slave to sin. All of the negative consequences. What, what did God say to Adam? If you, would dis, if you disobey this order that I've given you, what's going to happen? You'll surely die. 
sin always brings death. What is one of the universal experiences of everyone born into the human race? It's death. Everybody dies. Sickness, crime, selfishness. Where does all that come from? You don't, you don't have to teach children how to be selfish. You don't have to teach them how to hurt someone else who has what they, what they want. Why? It's just they're slaves to sin. Our cute little children are born in, as slaves to sin. <laughs> this is why it's so important for us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim that Christ has been made for us redemption. In John 8 and verse 34, Jesus says, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Doesn't say how many sins you commit. Doesn't say the severity or the degree of sin that you commit. It just says whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So that's, that's our bondage that we're born into. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 14, 23, and he said, whatever is not of faith is sin. So again, whatever is not of faith, not doing what you do because you want to submit to God's revealed will, whatever is not of faith is sin, and you're a slave of sin. Faith is to believe what God says to be true and then to live accordingly. Well, those born in sin can't do that. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 and verses 20 and 21. All of the hatred, the lying, the, all that we see in the world today that's so prominent, that so characterizes the human race, it's because they're slaves to sin. Romans 6 and verse 20, Paul talking to believers that have been redeemed, he says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, doing what's right in God's sight. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. The unsaved person is unable to enjoy the liberty that's found in doing what is right in God's sight. And death rules. They're separated from their creator and all the purposes and the blessings and the joy that God intended for the human race. That's our slavery to sin in which we're born. It's real. It's not just a theory. It's not just theology. Look at the human race. Look at the condition, the self-destructiveness of society. They're slaves to sin. God gave us an illustration of the redemption that's found in Jesus Christ in the Old Testament to try to help us understand what Jesus came to do for us. God gave the people of Israel a provision in the law of Moses and it, was, it has come to be known as the law of the kinsman redeemer. It was something that the Jews were very familiar with and were very thankful for this provision in the law. You can read about it later in Leviticus 25 if you'd like. And then also in the book of Ruth, we see a very personal illustration of it in, in Ruth's life and that of Naomi. But in ancient Israel, God gave every tribe and every adult male a portion of the land. It was their birthright. It was an inheritance that was passed down from generation to generation. It's what made you an Israelite. It's what gave you status in society. It gave them liberty to prosper because this was theirs. They, they had it by birthright. To lose your inheritance, to lose the land that you were given that had been passed down to you from generation to generation, 
was one of the worst possible things that could happen to a Jew. There are many reasons for an individual to lose their inheritance. They could sell themselves to get out of debt. They could sell their family to get out of debt. But once they sold, now they became the slaves of whoever they sold it to, and they lost everything that they had. That's what Adam did for us. He lost all that he had in fellowship with his creator, and they had to serve another. Adam's race has to serve sin. So you can imagine how sad and how tragic that condition would be. But the provision that God made is that if there was a near relative, a kinsman, that was both rich enough and willing to buy back that land and give it to his enslaved relative, then whoever possessed that land had to sell it, had to give it back. If the ransom was paid, then everything was restored to the one who had been a slave. The doctrine, the provision of the near kinsman. Adam, choosing unbelief and disobedience, lost our inheritance. But God in his grace made a provision. We have a near kinsman. We have a big brother. Second Corinthians 8, 9. We needed someone who was both rich enough and willing to pay the debt of our sin, to deliver us from that tragic condition of a slave to sin, so that we could once again have fellowship with our Creator and enjoy everything He intends for us. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. It was necessary that Jesus be both man and God. As man, born of a woman, he was our near kinsman. He became like us. As God, he was without sin. The only man born to the human race that was not born a slave to sin. Because his father was not Adam. His father was the almighty, holy God. He was the only one that had the ability to buy us out. Other men couldn't do it for us. This is why church and religion can't buy your salvation. Your family can't buy your salvation. They're sold to sin too. They're slaves. But Jesus, without sin, without stain, was willing to pay the enormous price for my redemption. Jesus became for me redemption because he was both the ransom and the Redeemer. He paid the price, and the price was his own life. The price of sin is death. He paid that price. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The Redeemer paid the price bought me out of slavery to sin, and brought me into the realm of life. Lord willing, next week we'll consider two aspects of our redemption. One that's immediate upon accepting Jesus Christ, one that is unconditional to everyone who's accepted Jesus as their Savior. And that aspect of redemption you need to lay hold of. I am eternally a child of God. My destiny is determined by my new, loving, caring master. Sin has no power over me concerning my destiny. 
That aspect is, is present, it's eternal, it's unconditional to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. But there's another aspect of our redemption that we want to consider, uh, Lord willing, next week. Because not all Christians have learned to fully enter into all that their redemption means. And so this is called the practical aspect, the conditional aspect of our redemption. It depends on things that, that we do, things that we decide, whether we're going to fully enter into all that Christ died to provide for us because now we're set free from sin. An illustration that I've often used, and to me is, is one that is so vivid as I look at the life of many believers. If you could picture someone who is thrown into prison as a slave, but a slave that, that has now been thrown into prison for some misconduct, and now they're in this dungeon. Think of the worst possible conditions that you can think of, rat infested. Their clothes are ratted and dirty and smelly, and they're locked in that cage. But then one day... Someone comes and pays the price to set them free. Now the door is unlocked. They're given new clothes to put on. They're given good things to eat. They're told that there are, there's a place for them to stay when they leave the prison. How foolish it would be for that person who now has that freedom that's been purchased for them to continue to sit in that jail, continue to wear those stinky old prison clothes, and never walk out of that prison door. And I look at the life of many of God's redeemed, and to me it's an illustration of what their condition is. They're set free. They are eternally redeemed, but they're not walking in the power of that redemption. They're not enjoying. They haven't learned to walk out of that prison cell, to change their clothes, to put on Christ, to put on the new clothes that they've been given, because they've never learned of the power of our redemption in a very practical way. And so, Lord willing, we'll consider those two aspects next week. Let's have a song in closing. Let's stand as we sing.